She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 13. Never again. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, February 2nd, 1997 at 9 p.m. Groundhog Day. Again. The title of this episode is like the gift that keeps on giving. It's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Never again. Okay. <laughs> In it, a freshly divorced man gets a tattoo from a parlor that promises the tattoo you deserve. And it urges him to do violent, terrible things. Meanwhile, Mulder is forced to take a vacation and sends Scully out to investigate a case while he's away leading her to the same place as the man with the tattoo. Ooh. Yeah. Is it a dragon? The man with the dragon tattoo? <laughs> it, it is not a dragon tattoo. That was a girl. So, but, you know, we can, we can switch those out. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and directed by Rob Bowman. This will be the last episode of The X-Files by the team of Morgan and Wong. Both will return in 2016 and 2018, but not as a team. Rob Bowman, however, will stick around until March of 2000. Whoa, he's got three more years to go. Yeah, I can't believe it's already 1997 in X-Files airing years. No, no. Time flies. I guess it is the fourth season, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A judge says if there are no further motions, the Superior Court of the State of Pennsylvania declares case number BD-237 closed and then strikes her gavel. Clunk. A lawyer hands his client some papers and they are divorce papers. The man, Edward, looks over at his now ex-wife, Cindy, who's thanking her lawyer at the other table. Edward signs the papers. Later, Edward is at a bar drinking and smoking, and he gestures for a refill, and the bartender's like, no way. And so I think maybe he was cutting him off because he had enough, but I guess it just turns out that he didn't have money or something? Because then Edward hands him a credit card, and the dude's like, okay. And then he takes a photo of himself that he has of him and his two kids, and he looks at it, and then he uses a cigarette to burn his own face out of the photo. Mm dramatic and then he's walking by a tattoo parlor in the rain and it is it's it's rain oh my god it's rain it's that kind of rain like it's just they turned it on mm-hmm. and he goes up to the window and he looks at some of the tattoo artist's work and one of the sketches is a bust of a 50 styles girl with like blue hair and a red polka dot bow and she's got red lips and blue eyes and one of them is winking at you so edward gets home to his apartment and it's cluttered with boxes in one corner and he removes a bandage from his new tattoo. And then he drops to the floor and he falls unconscious. And the camera focuses on the tattoo. And below it is like a little banner that reads, never again. And the winking eye is now open. So it, both eyes are open on the tattoo, even though it had uh-huh. a winking eye before. Interesting. Why this is the X-Files. And then it's the theme song. Edward is played by Rodney Rowland. He played Lieutenant Cooper Hawks in Space Above and Beyond. He was also Liam Fitzpatrick in Veronica Mars. 
And additionally, he's appeared in episodes of Angel, Castle, Bones, and The Walking Dead, among others. Hmm. And then we're at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Constitution Gardens in Washington, D.C. And it's 2.35 a.m. So Mulder's voice comes on the screen and he's asking someone about these unknown craft. The man replies in a heavy accent, saying that on the route home, himself and several others walked onto the minefield by the base. And then a long black car drove up. There was no door handle, no window, and no driver. So they ran and mines exploded, but there was no sound. Whoa. While he speaks, the camera is on Scully, who looks unimpressed. She wanders off to look at the memorial. Someone has left this toy hot rod and a note saying, Brother, 20 years later, I still miss you. We know what you did was right. And it's surrounded by roses. And Scully picks up a rose petal and looks at it. Edward is at work, sitting at a desk in an office. He's wearing a headset and dials a number. A woman answers, and he tells her about a stock that's going public next week, but she's dealing with some fighting kids on the phone, and so he keeps trying to continue the sales pitch, and then he hears a woman's voice call him a loser, and he's like, what? And the woman on the line repeats what she just said, and he's like, no, before that, what did you say? And she's like, you were talking before that. And then someone just starts laughing. He hears them, so he pulls off his headset, he looks around, and there's no one in the next cubicle, but there is a woman visible in a glass partition of an office a little bit away. So he goes over to the office and he walks in and he's all, say it to my face. And the woman in the office who's helping someone else, who's like wearing like a little red suit jacket kind of thing. She looks like, what are you talking about? He's like, say it to my face. And he's like getting loud. And then the voice that he heard in his head is all, trash your desk. And so he like slams all this stuff off her desk and throws it on the floor. And then people come running in from the next room. And the manager tells him to go home and they'll discuss this later. Yeah, mm. not a good idea to flip out at your office job at some random coworker. Doesn't he's already looking kind of well. rough when he's making the phone call too. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the woman in the red suit being helped in the cubicle is played by Jodie Foster, but she has no lines in this scene. Well, the person in red has no lines in this scene. <laughs> yes, okay. The person in red has no lines. That's oddly specific. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so scully sits in the x-files office and she's holding Mulder's nameplate and looking around Mulder comes in and he's like okay i made a last ditch effort to get out of it but the fbi is enforcing its vacation policy we learn that Mulder hasn't taken a day off in four years so either he takes a week now or they start not paying him for eight weeks vacation time He's not happy about it, but he has to do it because he has to pay his bills, so no choice. Part of him worries that it's just another way for them to get him out of there, but it's only a week. And Scully will be here to hold down the fort. He starts looking through files and like is putting them on the desk for her to keep her eye on. And then Scully's like, why don't I have a desk? And Mulder's like, what do you mean? And she holds up his nameplate and he like kind of looks to the area behind them where there is like another desk table thing. And he's like, I, I thought that was your area. I don't, maybe it's not a desk table. There's like another, like there's an area of stuff that's like piled around. And he's like, I thought that was your area. And she is just clearly not happy with that. And he's like, okay, well, we'll have them send out another desk. It'll be tight, but we can like put them face to face and maybe play some battleship or something. 
So I, I'm thinking the guest thing was something that fans were asking because I remember it being a topic of conversation back in the day. And I know that's something we've talked about as well, like how she doesn't have her own desk. <laughs> she just kind of works in his office and or outside his office. It's very unclear. Yeah, well, she had like her own little office at one point when she would be typing up her reports, remember? Mm-hmm. We were, at one time we were we were confused because we thought that might have been home. It was like, no, some dude just walked by. That's not, not her house. That's her office. So, yeah. Maybe it's one of those like, workstations that you just like work in but it's not really assigned to anybody so if you need a place oh, to like maybe. sit down and work because yeah, that's how the FBI works, so. i don't have any idea but anyway scully asked Mulder what he wanted her to keep an eye on he tells her it's the contact they met last night who was present for a first scully abandoning him during questioning he makes a joke about making sure in the future all interviewees come with a laser show to keep her attention Anyhow, the contact's name is Sevlov Padovkin. Mulder opens the file in front of her and continues that he's a Russian immigrant with a doctorate in astronautical engineering. He and several other contacts worked at a military space center in the Republic of Karelia. They smuggled out reverse-engineered reports of two alien craft which crashed and were retrieved from the Sea of Barents. Scully asks if those reports are for sale. Mulder says yes, at a high price. She asks if he's confirmed the identities of these individuals. He tells her that's her assignment while he's gone. He wants her to run an INS check and a Bureau NCIC check on them. He slides a scrap of paper with names written on it to her. And he tells her that all of these men now reside in the Little Russia area of Philadelphia. He's made arrangements for Scully's travel so she can administer eye-to-eye surveillance on their activities. And then he sets down a plane ticket. Scully says she's not going. Mulder's like, what do you mean? She says that Mulder's contact was recounting a poorly told episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Scully explains the plot of the episode that the contact based his story on. Mulder asks if she's refusing an assignment based on moose and squirrel. And he's trying to add some levity. She's really not in a good mood. I don't blame her. (laughs) But it's just kind of funny because he keeps trying to be like, let's have some, you know banter and she's just like "Mm -mm, no so scully annoyed says that refusing an assignment makes it sound like he's her superior and then Mulder, now annoyed too tells her to do what she wants but to remember that he worked his ass off to get the x-files reopened and she was just assigned this work is his life and it's become mine scully adds and you don't want it to be Mulder asks and she says it's not about him She sighs, and she says she feels like she's lost sight of herself. She feels like they're going in an endless line, two steps forward, three steps back, while her own life stands still. Mulder says maybe it's better they get away from each other for a while. He picks up his bag and heads for the door. Scully asks where he'll be. Mulder says, ironically enough, it's personal. It's a place he always wanted to go, and he anticipates it'll be a spiritual journey. He hopes to discover something about himself. He suggests maybe Scully should do the same. Then he leaves, and Scully pulls the rose petal out of her pocket and sets it on the desk. Edward is at home on the phone, and his tattoo's left eye, one of them is closed again, so we'll go with winking and both open, as maybe I'll describe this, because this might become a thing. He's talking to his manager and asks, what if he swore it would never happen again? He just wants another chance. And he's like, I need another chance. He tries to explain like how he's been doing such a good job. And then finally he's like, okay, I understand. And he thanks her for her time. 
and he hangs up the phone and then he just starts slamming like the phone receiver into the phone itself, like in frustration. Mm-hmm. And then we get a woman's voice mockingly says, thank you for your time and giggles. And she says, if you were any kind of man, you'd have told her to kiss your ass. And Edward looks around. He's all super confused. And so he drops to the floor. And he's got like his ear to the floor and he's listening and like crawling around trying to see if he can hear something. And he hears a couple of noises and he's like, I can hear you down there. And then he starts banging on the floor. And then we cut to his downstairs neighbor who's like checking on a bird in a cage and like putting some paper in the bottom. And she looks up and she's like, oh, God. And then she goes and sits on the couch and like turns her TV on. So, yeah, apartment life, apartment life. Oh my God. So like my worst apartment ever was this studio in Belltown in Seattle. And I lived on the second floor and I had a downstairs neighbor who like the guy who moved out before me, he actually moved to the first floor because they had originally showed me that apartment. And he moved out because he was an art student who was sewing all the time for like um, his design school stuff. And so apparently the sewing machine noise was bothering her. So I should have just known that was like a big red flag. Right. So I move in and like just constantly I'll be in bed asleep and she'll come tearing up the stairs and like bang on my door and like yell at me for making noise. And I'm like in bed and I'm like, I wasn't making noise. And this is before I had cats. So there were no cats running around or anything to make noise. It was just me lying in bed, literally sleeping. This happened all the time. Once I was even in New Orleans for like five days and I came home and there was like a nasty note on my door about making noise at 2 a.m. And I'm like, I was literally making noise on Bourbon Street 2,000 miles away. So like, no. Maybe Um, she had a psychic bond with you. Maybe. But like the apartments. So like it was one of those buildings that, you know, has those fire doors with the hall. But both of our apartments were the first ones. So like they were outside the fire door. And so hers was also right by the front door. And so people were like banging up and down the steps all the time, I'm sure. So I think maybe she thought that was me making the noise. And then I eventually adopted my cats while I did live there. And then they, them running around at night really pissed her off. And I ended up having to move out because she was just constantly complaining about noise but i'm like she was living in belltown which if you know anything about seattle like we were literally a block away from lava lounge and all these bars and like it's so noisy and loud and people are like shouting in the street at two and three in the morning like if you want quiet it is not the place to live so i don't know what her deal was but she was so angry and i hated her so living in apartments is super fun it's so so great so so yeah well sadly (laughs) quiet is expensive so it is it is unfortunately yeah what's not quiet is edward's apartment apparently because then he hears the tv through the floor because again he's got his head like on the floor and just like keeps banging on the floor and so (laughs) and then the voice in his head is like hear that it's all you ed it's all about you then he's still banging on the floor and then the neighbor turns up her television, so that's even like louder. And then there's a knock on his door, so he jumps up and he answers, and it's Jehovah's Witnesses. And he's like, can you hear noise downstairs? And they're like, uh, no, uh, we were just down there, and I don't think she'd be doing that. She seems very nice. And, you know, and he's like, no, she knows somehow. She's always thinking, feeling like she's a psychic or an implant or something, and they're trying to drive him crazy. So, like, of course, they're like, um... <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, here's a pamphlet and maybe we can come and visit you later. And then they leave. And then the voices are like, wow, even the Jehovah's Witnesses won't waste their time on you. Woo, no one would do that. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the lady's Jehovah's Witness is played by BJ Harrison. She's a character actor who's appeared in many, many shows, including Fringe, Supernatural, and Psych. She's also been in a good number of TV movies. And she played Mrs. Bass in a series of unfortunate events. So anyway, then the downstairs neighbor lady is like sitting there watching her TV. And then suddenly there's banging on her front door. You know what's going on. So she's annoyed. But then the door like bursts open and Edward is standing there. And she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, get out of here. Get out of here. And then she's like, I'm going to call the cops. But as we hear, he attacks her and she pleads and screams. And then we see the camera panning down some stairs and there, this is a very long, they, they filmed this scene way longer than I think they really needed to. But anyway, he's like dragging something down the stairs and it takes them a really long time. And he's dragging it across the floor. And then apparently their building just has like an open incinerator that everyone has access to in case you need to burn bodies or something. And so he <laughs> opens the door to the incinerator and he empties the contents of the box into it. And we can see the box is all bloody inside. And then he lifts out this remote control from a TV. And then the voice in his head is all, boy, lover. From now on, I'm your right-hand gal. You and me. As long as I'm with you, no one will ever hurt you. Never again. And then we see the camera pan down to the tattoo. And it's winking, I believe, in this one. So Yeah. I have to say, as a woman who lives alone and has lived alone a lot... That scene is just really terrifying. Like, not in like, oh my God, I'm scared of Nightmare's Way, but it's just one of those things, like worst nightmare scenario. Some guy like breaks down your door and murders you <laughs> for mm-hmm. no reason other than. But what about her having... poor bird? I know, I know. I mean, oh, poor anyway. lady, too. I mean, obviously. But obviously, like... yeah. But like, yeah, it's just one of those things that's like, oh, that is just the height of fear right there. Yeah. And then to get back into the whole X-Files thing, it's a commercial because someone died. Yeah. So Jillian Fargy, who plays the downstairs neighbor, whose name is Kay Schilling, looked really familiar to me. But then when I looked at her credits, I had no idea why she looked familiar because I was like, I haven't seen any of these shows. But she has been in sort of some X-Files adjacent content, such as Supernatural, iZombie, Murder, She Baked, Once Upon a Time. And interestingly, considering some stuff that we're going to record after this episode, um, a couple of episodes of Van Helsing. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Because that gives you a clue. Wink, wink. Ooh, look at me. I'm like a tattoo. Winking. Anyway. So then we come back from commercial and Mulder is parked on the side of the road and he's standing in the middle of it and it's all woods and it's kind of rainy and he's trying to get reception on his cell phone. And the call goes to the X-Files office, but there's no answer. So he leaves a message saying that he's just calling to see how Scully's doing and to call him on his cell when she gets a chance. (gasps) And it looks almost like he might be in Bellflower, Oregon. Maybe his spiritual journey is back to the first episode of the X-Files. Maybe. Maybe. Ooh, maybe. Yeah. So then we're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Scully is sitting in a car surveilling one of the Russian guys. And then the man walks down the sidewalk and into a shop. So Scully follows him in. And we hear a man's voice speaking Russian from behind a curtain at the back. Scully walks up and looks through the curtain and she sees a woman pleading with him. And there's a boy holding money and the man takes it. 
Skelly moves away because she doesn't want to be seen. And the man comes out and then he leaves the shop. She watches him go into a tattoo parlor across the street. And it's the same parlor where Edward got his tattoo. Whoa. That boy behind the curtain, he's very tiny Tim looking, honestly. (laughs) Doesn't look healthy. (laughs) So Scully goes into the tattoo parlor and inside Edward is there. And he's asking the man to cover his tattoo. And the tattoo artist tells him that everyone gets the tattoo they deserve. Scully looks at the art on the wall and kind of examines like the potential tattoos that have been designed and you could get if you wanted. Edward asks, what if the artist only covers part of it? Like the eyes and the mouth. And the artist says that it's too soon because the skin needs to heal. Then the artist calls to Scully and he asks her to look at Edward's tattoo. And he's like, You like this on his arm? Scully walks over and looks at it. She says, wow. The voice says, Eddie, in a warning tone. (sighs) Scully says the red on the lips is extraordinary. She's really impressed by this tattoo art. Mm -hmm. Edward seems kind of impressed by Scully. (laughs) (laughs) And the tattoo artist explains that everyone gets the tattoo they deserve. The tattoo reflects the body and what lies in the person's soul. The voice says to Edward, I thought I was your girl. You'd break my heart over a cheap redhead. And the artist continues to tell Scully how he gets such vibrant colors into his inks, including grasses and prison yards and urine. I'm not entirely sure he's talking a lot about this. And it well, he, sound- well, he's talking about, I think he started in prison because he's talking about like using needles and stuff. Uh-huh. He was, yeah, he was started out as a prison tattooist and then. Yeah, and how yeah. he would he learned to get vibrant color from like nature, which I don't think mm-hmm. he's still using urine. I don't think that was the implication, but you know, still. Who knows? Like a, I don't know. Uh, don't anyway. ask for a yellow tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> but while he's telling her all this stuff, we hear the woman's voice and she threatens Edward that if he talks to Scully, she's going to be bad. He pulls his sleeve down over the tattoo to kind of cover it. And then the Russian man opens the door in the back and he gestures for the artist, so the artist excuses himself. Scully goes back to looking at the tattoo art on the wall. And Edward says, mind some advice from a stranger? Make sure you've thought it over before you get it done. And Scully asks, you didn't get the tattoo you deserve? Edward says his was too impulsive. And Scully says sometimes she wishes she was that impulsive. Edward warns her to be careful what she wishes for. Then he asks how she ended up there. Scully lies. She says she's visiting an aunt in the neighborhood. And then she asks about him. He tells her there's a real crummy bar across the street that's good to go to when you're down. And he was kind of down last week. Scully says, so it wasn't so much impulsive as it was hammered. She smiles and he smiles kind of ruefully. Then he asks if she's seen much of Philadelphia. She says no. He tells her there are a couple of really nice restaurants if she's interested. Scully says she'd like that, but she's leaving tonight. He gives her his number in case she's ever in town again, and then he leaves. Mm. A little flirtation there. So then we're at the Adams Inn in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it's 5.23 p.m. And we see Scully's in her hotel room on the bed using her laptop. And then the phone rings, and it's Mulder. (gasps) And we see Mulder from the back. And then he starts talking, and his screen says, Memphis, Tennessee. And Mulder turns around, and he's wearing Elvis sunglasses, and he's at Graceland. And Scully's like, what's wrong? And Mulder says, nothing. He's just at that special place, and he wanted to share it with her. 
And Mulder asks if she knows that Elvis bought all his furniture in just 30 minutes. And Scully asks how he knew where she was. And he's like, I checked where we always stay in Philadelphia. So he's like, I knew you wouldn't abandon me. So apparently they always go to the same place. So it's probably not a good thing to do if you're a federal agent because then people could track you. But anyway, he asks how the case is going. And she tells him she's handed it over to the Philadelphia Bureau. Mulder says they don't care about the X-Files. And Scully's like, there is no X-Files. His contact is connected to a known con man, and he's nothing but a swindler. Mulder's like, how do you know that? And Scully's like, what do you mean, how do I know? You assigned me to do a background check. I did as told, as <laughs> always. She's salty, and I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm here for salty Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Mulder tells her to hold off until he gets there. Annoyed, she asks, what, you don't think I'm capable? And he asks for the agent's name in Philadelphia, but Scully tells him it's done, out of their hands, and she has to go. He mockingly says, like, what, you got a date or something? And she doesn't answer. And then he's like, you're kidding. And she tells him she has everything under control, and she'll talk to him later. And she hangs up, and she looks at the card that Edward gave her. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that Mulder's spiritual pilgrimage was to Graceland. <laughs> like, that's so perfect. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he also doesn't seem too upset when Scully hangs up because then he, like, <laughs> walks around and he starts doing, like, Elvis Kung Fu moves in the room. <laughs> so, good. <laughs> so good. Love it. I'm glad he's having fun on his vacation. <laughs> also, I wouldn't mind having a pair of those sunglasses just to have them. Like, I would never wear them in public, but it's just those. <laughs> them glasses. Anyway. So Edward is sitting alone in his apartment, and the tattoo tells him it's better this way. Women are controlling. That bitch today would have just done in like the others. And then his phone rings, and it's Scully, and she tells him that her flight was canceled due to the storm, and she was just wondering if she could take him up on dinner. And he says his car is in the shop, so they'd have to meet somewhere. But Scully's like, I can come pick you up. And so he tells her to give him an hour, and she says she'll see him there. I'm guessing he also gives her... Oh, I guess his address was probably on the card, so... Probably, or he gives it to her and yeah. just start proving yeah. that, yeah. The camera lingers on the tattoo, and it tells him to go ahead and treat himself. Says, this girl is a real doll, but beauty's only skin deep, baby. I go all the way to the bone. And then he takes a cigarette that he was smoking, and he puts it out on the tattoo's face. Ouch. And then we go to commercial. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, for a tattoo to tell you that it goes all the way to the bone when it's like an evil tattoo is pretty, like, I don't know. I feel like that was a really good line. It's also just really horrifying, like, the implications of it. I don't know. I mean, I know she was speaking metaphorically, but I do think it was. Was she? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) That's the thing, right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Scully arrives at Edward's building, and she sees the Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on the downstairs neighbor's door. One of them says, she said she'd be here. Scully knocks on Edward's door and says that she's early. The storm's actually not so bad. He invites her in while he finishes getting ready. Scully tells him she doesn't go out very much, and then she notices his arm is bleeding because there's blood on his shirt sleeve. Edward's like, it's a damn tattoo. So he heads into the bathroom to take care of it, and Scully tells him that she's a doctor, and she's like, do you want me to take a look at it? But he says, it's okay. This tattoo's just been nothing but trouble. While he attends to the tattoo, Scully sees the photo of Edward with his kids with his face burned out by the cigarette. She's holding the photo when he comes out, 
And he's talking about the place where he made reservations and he kind of stops short when he sees her holding the photo. And she asked him to take her to the crummy bar he told her about instead. At the bar, Scully and Edward sit in a booth with drinks. Scully asks what makes this bar a good place to go when you're down. And Edward says it looks like everyone there has problems worse than his. But Scully says you can't tell what's going on in someone's head by looking at them. These people are probably thinking that they're the ones who are screwed up. And Edward asks, are we? She tells him that she feels like she always goes in the same circle. An authoritative, controlling person comes into her life, and part of her likes that and needs the approval. But along the way, she just sort of, you know. Edward looks confused, and he kind of gestures as much. So Scully tells him that her father was a Navy captain, and she worships the sea he sailed on. When she was 14, she went through a thing where she'd sneak out of the house and smoke her parents' cigarettes, and she did it because she knew if her father found out, he'd kill her. And along the way, there have been other fathers. Edward tells her it sounds like her time has come around again. He wants things more like a straight line, and he never wants to go backwards. That's why he got the tattoo. To mark the moment, the feeling, the memorial of something that never had to happen again. Scully asks to see it, but Edward tells her that just because he marked the moment wanting to go forward doesn't mean that it worked. She insists she wants to see it, and he's like, no, it's all scabbed over. But she reaches for his shirt. He grabs her arm. And he's like, you're so curious. Get your own. Then they're at the tattoo shop. And the tattoo artist is shaving Scully's skin on her lower back while he applies alcohol with a cotton swab. And then he puts an outline of the tattoo she's going to get, which is a snake eating its tail. Edward tells him she wants the same red as his tattoo. And she kind of jolts a little when the needle touches her skin. And then when it's finished, we see that the tattoo is a snake with multiple colors on its head and parts of its scales. (gasps) Scully got a tattoo of the Millennium logo. (laughs) (laughs) Look, someone has to fangirl that show, okay? (laughs) Why can't it be Scully? I was like, oh, my God, because like, I mean, that is literally the Millennium logo, because like, I mean, the, the Ouroboros, I think is how you say it, it's the snake eating its own tail. Like that's there's many images of that, but that is the exact design that is used for the Millennium logo. That's <laughs> so funny. Like, yeah. Also, they cut this scene of her getting the tattoo almost like it was a sex scene. Like she's all like, oh, and I was like, OK, X-Files. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Also, I think it's funny that she talks about father figures and it sounds like she's referring to Mulder. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm tr- I think she was. I think she told yeah. me was. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I see Mulder as overly controlling. I think she's just having a moment in her life. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I also think that's a weird, as if I was a guy and a woman was telling me that, I'd be like, hmm, I might step back because... <laughs> Um, that just unless just, i was you know into being a controlling guy i guess maybe then i would be like okay cool i got one so i don't know yeah you know <laughs> anyway, yeah but then when, when he pulled the thing off to show the tattoo i was like oh my god that's the millennium logo it was hilarious anyway <laughs> i didn't even make that connection that is really funny oh. so back at edward's apartment edward tells scully with the storm getting worse and the drinks under her belt He'd feel better if she stayed there. And he's like, I'll take the couch. Like, he's not trying to be, like, creepy or anything. 
<laughs> she smiles and he asks if the tattoo hurts and she says it feels weird like she can't see it but it feels different and he takes the bandage off and tells her it looks all right and then she notices he's bleeding again and asks if she can look at it so edward takes off his shirt and scully removes the bandage and it's all blotchy and red and scully says it looks burned it actually looks like it has blood on it it doesn't look burned but anyway mm. and then the tattoo growls like Get her hands off of me. And Edward slaps Scully's hands away and like holds it. But as he does, they're like face to face. And the tattoo is like, if you kiss her, she's dead. And then it looks like he kisses her because they're, they're like locked in this like position of like he's holding her hand and then like she's up close. And then they, the camera kind of rotates and then pans out the room. And then it sounds like the door locks. So it sounds like maybe they were kissing and then decided to lock the door. So. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Apparently, in the script, the script was explicit that Edward and Scully had sex, whereas oh. kind of keeps it ambivalent about whether they did or not. But yeah, yeah. Well, given what she's wearing in the next scene, that does not surprise me. Yeah, yeah. And then no one died except for maybe the ship. Oh, boom! Because <laughs> it's commercial. Oh, don't worry, that won't kill it. <laughs> Just makes me stronger. The ship is like a the ship is like a super saiyan. It's just like you know you get beat up and then you come back stronger. You're all, <laughs> you're all good. Anyway, so then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington D.C. and Mulder is in the X Files office and he calls the Adams in and asks for Scully, but there's no answer in her room. <gasps> and then Edward wakes up on his sofa and his tattoo is bled through the bandages again. And then he grabs a notebook. So later. There's a knock on the door, and Scully wakes up in the bed wearing what looks like one of Edward's shirts. It's like a collar shirt. It might be. I don't think it's her shirt. It's pretty it's long. Not, it's, it, that's a man's shirt. <laughs> We're going to assume it's Edward's because it's in his apartment, and he doesn't <laughs> collect other men's shirts, but that's a man's shirt. Okay. So she walks to the door, and she answers it, and it's two police detectives, and they ask to speak to Edward. But Scully says he's not there, and she doesn't know where he is. They ask if she was there the night before last, and she tells them no. And then she's like, can I help you with something? I'm with the Bureau. They kind of give her a weird look, so she like goes inside and pulls out her badge. And then they tell her that the resident downstairs, Kay Schilling, was reported missing. There was some blood, not hers, found in her apartment, and it had other abnormalities. Scully asks, such as? They tell her there was a substance found in the blood stains. The type was A, but the victim's type was O. And he shows Scully the substance, which he conveniently has written in his notebook, like the name of the substance. She makes a note of it. And then they give her their card and ask her to have Edward call when he returns. So Scully sits down at Edward's desk. She sees a note he left about going to get coffee and breakfast. She uses his computer to log on to the internet and looks up the substance. It seems to be ergot which the description says can lead to auditory hallucinations and psychotic behavior. Mm -hmm. She calls the FBI and asks for Mulder. Mulder is in the office and he runs for the phone, but Scully hangs up before he answers. Yeah, they edited that bad because Mulder picks up the phone and then they cut to Scully and she's still holding the phone to her ear. Uh -huh. And then she hangs up and it's like she would have heard the pickup. So they, they, edited, they didn't edit that well. But. Yeah, she should have hung up first and then 
Also, Scully is lucky that Edward doesn't have like any kind of password on his computer or to log on to the internet or anything because he was just able to just get right <laughs> in there. Yeah, I mean, the computer thing I can see because like in the 90s, a lot of people, it just booted up, right? Like they just booted up to Windows. There weren't really a lot. I mean, you yeah, could the, have a but password. But the internet but, seemed like that. But the internet, yeah, you should have. I can't yeah. remember ever having an internet service you could log into without a password. Yeah. Because that would basically mean you were always on, which I don't mm-hmm. think was something back then, unless you were no, you were big. You money. were paying by the hour, generally. Yeah, <laughs> AOL so. would give you like twenty five hours a week or something. <laughs> you had to like meter it out. Yeah. <laughs> so Edward returns, and he's got some bags of food and some coffees, and he sees Scully's face and asks what's wrong. And she has him sit down, and she tells him about the detectives and his missing neighbor and the blood which she believes may be his. And he was like, I helped her move and I cut myself. And she's like, well, you need to tell the detectives. But what I'm actually worried about, and it concerns both of us, is that there's an ergot alkaloid, which is found in the blood. Ergot is a parasite that lives in rye, and the tattoo artist says he used rye in his ink. If that's true, he may be having hallucinations that could lead to dangerous behavior. She says they both should go to the hospital to be tested. And then he kind of puts his like hands in his on his face and kind of giggles a little bit and says like he doesn't need to be tested and he's relieved to be able to tell Scully that he hears the tattoo talking to him <laughs> and that the tattoo hates women and she's super jealous and she makes him do things that he doesn't want to do but he <laughs> believes that Scully made her go away so yay that's Yay. something you want to hear with a guy that you just met and are when you're sitting half with. naked in his house wearing his shirt and you can't just quickly extract yourself yeah no and his definitely. neighbor disappeared yeah oh yeah she tells him they need to get help and that she's going to go into the next room and when she comes back out they're going to go together and so she grabs her stuff off the table and she goes into the bedroom but when she does her badge falls out and then she picks it up and goes to change Yep. Not sure why the badge fell out was a thing because I don't think he saw it. Yeah, I don't know. They're making it, I guess, just to give another note if maybe she's hiding something that he could glomp onto, I guess. Yeah, because I figured that he saw it, but when we cut to him, he's just like got his head in his hands and then the tattoo starts talking to him again and it's like he didn't see her pick it up. So maybe the tattoo saw it. (laughs) (gasps) It is facing that direction. (laughs) speaking of which the tattoo asks edward who scully called isn't he curious and so he goes over and he grabs the phone and he hits redial and it's the fbi receptionist and then the voice says dana scully please and so edward says dana scully please and they're like one moment and so he's like and he hangs up the phone and scully comes back and then edward attacks her and he's like never again and scully gets away and she runs into the bathroom and she opens a drawer and she does a first aid kit in there. And Edward breaks down the door and Scully grabs something out of the kit. But then he hits her so hard, she flies out of the bathroom and into the hall and smacks her head on the wall. Some more head trauma for Scully. Yay. And then the tattoo says, another lover in my bed. Burn the sheets. Burn her. And so Edward rips all the sheets off the bed and he wraps Scully in the sheet. But when he wraps her, we see that Scully had grabbed a small pair of scissors from the first aid kit and they get wrapped up inside with her. So Edward carries Scully all wrapped in the sheet down in the basement. So apparently she's smaller than Kay Schilling because he had trouble getting Kay downstairs. Mm -hmm. 
Or he's just gotten better about disposing of bodies. You know, it's a skill yeah, you learn. I mean, I mean, he's only, I mean, as far as we know, this is only the second one. But yeah, I mean, maybe he's you know, improving. Maybe, maybe he's a quick learner. Who knows? <laughs> maybe he's like using his knees on this one, get her because he's got her flopped over his shoulder. So instead of being in a big old box, he puts her on the floor, and the tattoo is laughing maniacally. And then Edward opened that incinerator for you know, like I said, that's like that's got to be like a perk that's like in the listing for the apartment. I'm thinking. <laughs> access to an incinerator because like are you a vampire and or serial killer <laughs> this is the apartment for you because you have yeah, 24 hour access to an, incinerator. to an incinerator which is always running at full tilt too yeah 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 as he stares in the fire scully starts to move under the sheet and the tattoo urges edward on telling him to do it for me and he turns around and scully has gotten mostly out of the sheet basically like around her waist at this point and so he runs toward her but she stabs him with those tiny little scissors and he's like ah and he backs up towards the incinerator and she's like this isn't you you need to get control of yourself and the tattoo is telling him to attack scully telling him it's good to lose control so then he sticks his arm in the incinerator and it's burning he's like ah and scully's like oh my god and then he falls backward and his arm is all charred and stuff and then scully like slowly approaches him and we see that somehow her shirt conveniently got torn or cut so that it shows her little new tattoo. I'm not sure how. It's like a slit. I'm not sure how it got cut, but okay. <laughs> Whatever. Guess we need the symbolism. So Scully opens the door to the X-Files office. Her face is bruised in a couple places. Mulder welcomes her back and says that she looks better than she did at the hospital. Then he congratulates her for making a personal appearance in the X-Files for a second time. It's a world record. I'm surprised it's only the second time, if you think about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think she's in there as an agent. I think it's her second time as a witness well, and or victim. But that would be the Dwayne, there would be Dwayne Barry. There would right. be, what's his face? He who should not be <gasps> spoken. Tombs? Yeah, no, not well, Tombs, yeah, Tombs, but then also, what's his face from Irresistible? Oh, oh, Donnie Faster. Donnie Faster? Wait, yeah, so, so that's, at least, you're that's right. at least four. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he kept her out of those for personal reasons. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe she asked him, or she, like, whited out her part. Because, <laughs> like, like, Tombs might be, like, attacked as part of her job, but yeah. Faster and Dwayne Barry would definitely both be not yeah. related to the job. Well, I, mean, I don't know. I get, Faster well, I get, might well, be related to the job because he kind of grabbed her. I know that Dwayne Barry one is like her main X file because she was missing. Yeah. Well, and Dwayne Barry too, like tracked her down because of. Well, no, I don't think he knew that she was Mulder's partner. He tracked her down because of her, her thing in her in her neck. Yeah, and I think that because she was missing, like that's the file we saw on her in like one breath mm. or whatever, and so. But still, I think she should be in more than. Files. <laughs> anyway see vince gilligan would have gotten this right morgan and wong <laughs> he would have gotten it correct i'm just saying maybe they're just thinking <laughs> of the episodes that they wrote and so they're like oh yeah squeeze there we go <laughs> see all the episodes of the x-files they actually know they're like yeah. we don't even watch the show we don't even watch it we didn't write them we don't watch them we don't care they don't exist as far as i care yep oh my god <laughs> So anyway, X Files. <laughs> <laughs> Get it together, Santani. Get it together. So anyway, Mulder pulls out a file and sits. 
<laughs> Sorry. All right. <clears throat> Mulder pulls out a file and sits at his desk. He tells her that Edward is in custody at the Philadelphia Burn Center. Traces of ergot were found in his bloodstream, but not enough to the extent that it should have caused hallucinations. He'll undergo a psych evaluation once he's well enough. The tattoo artist shop was shut down. It had connections to the men that Mulder was looking into. And it's a shame because he was thinking of getting an NY tattooed on his ass to commemorate the Yankees World Series victory. Yay. Also, I guess Scully had some of that in her blood, too. Yeah, but apparently it wasn't enough to cause problems, which is why she wasn't having hallucinations. Yeah. Hence the X-File. She sees the rose petal on the desk and picks it up. Mulder gets up and opens the file cabinet. He tells her the field office in Dallas is receiving reports of the image of a missing child appearing on a blank billboard outside Arlington. Scully says nothing. He asks if she's acting like this because he didn't get her a desk. And she looks at him and she says, Not everything is about you, Mulder. This is my life. He shakes his head, confused, and they sit in awkward silence as it fades to black. Dun dun. Dun dun dun. And the tattoo, who was named Betty in the script, was voiced by Jodie Foster. And you know who she is. Not even going to go into it. For some reason you don't. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's among many other roles. Yeah, that is is a big one that's sort of X-Files adjacent D. But yeah. Yeah. In a way, kind of why Scully exists. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The whole winking, not winking thing on the tattoo, I think, was not necessary. I think it would have been fine. It was just the tattoo and it talked because it ends up leading to inconsistencies from shot to shot. Whether it's sure, especially like the whole bloody part. If some parts, like, like in the in those in those last scenes within the apartment, it keeps being like bloody, not bloody, both eyes, one eye. And I think it was just because they were trying to make it do stuff and they weren't keeping track of what it should look like. So. Less is more. We've said it before, and that <laughs> rhymes. But anyway, it's felt a hard time with that. So yeah, and I don't think that's ever going to get better. Honestly, <laughs> that's just how this show is, and honestly, a lot of shows. It's very common. Yeah, it's like they don't. I, they, maybe like I, I've heard you say this. Like it's like they don't trust the audience, and so, yeah, yeah. So not everybody's stupid. Anyway. When Kate Schilling is putting the paper in her in her birdcage thing, mm-hmm. we see that the paper she's using is like an Entertainment Weekly cover. Yes. And I kind of just assumed it was a spoof on like the Us Magazine Sexiest Man Alive thing. And it was like a picture of someone like that we were probably supposed to know, but who I didn't know. So turns out that Kate Schilling, the downstairs neighbor who then gets murdered, who we're just talking about, she shares a name with an Entertainment Weekly editor, Mary Kay Schilling. Morgan and Wong, probably mostly Morgan, were (laughs) unhappy with some recent reviews in Entertainment Weekly. So the character Kay Schilling is shown lining her birdcage with the magazine. Got it. The cover is actually, I guess, Bob Goodwin, who's the X-Files producer, and it declares him the wisest man in Hollywood. So I'm pretty sure it's still fake, though, because I kept looking for it and I couldn't find it anywhere. And the design is kind of not great. Honestly. Yeah, I would imagine. Oh. Yeah. And then another thing that I noticed and then discovered that was actually a fact, I thought maybe it was just me or something with the way that I converted the DVD stuff. Uh, the DVD audio has Betty constantly alternating between the left and the right channels on purpose. 
to give the illusion that she's in the audience's head as well. So I really noticed it when he's like dragging Kay Schilling's body down the stairs. Mm-hmm. That's a longer scene where she's talking and laughing. It's like that I kept going back in and out of the two ears. I actually found it more distracting than immersive, probably because it just seemed like it was just like they were just like dial, 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 rather than make it like match the speech patterns or like the beats or something like that. But that could just be me. Maybe other people really dug it. I don't know. Kind of messed me up. So I don't watch or listen to anything without headphones because it's both considerate and it provides better sound. So yeah. yeah, I live alone, so I don't use headphones very often. But sometimes you live in an apartment, though. I do live in an apartment, and I have neighbors on either side of me. I don't have any above or below, which is nice. The sound here is really good, though. Like I do occasionally hear my neighbor's baby crying, very rarely, and I have to be like against that wall. And then I occasionally hear someone in the other apartment talking, but it's pretty rare. I think they have to be talking pretty loud. I think I don't know if they're on a phone. Maybe they're recording a podcast. <laughs> Maybe they hear me recording this podcast. I don't know, Maybe. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we got good. rid of our TV, finally, because we kept one just for mm-hmm. um the we basically mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah so we got rid of the tv occasionally we were like let's watch something we were going to watch something together and so we were like yeah. well, let's watch it on the tv you just can't hear as good on the tv at least we couldn't you can't hear as good on the tv as you can with headphones i just i'm used to it's true headphones, i actually so. i don't have a tv right now because i haven't gotten one since i moved i need to get like a tv stand and then a tv i do want one because i like to lie on the couch and not be on a computer for a while and watch stuff so like that to me is a good thing but or no, I use basically the same thing. I well, mean, and I play Nintendo. I've got my Switch, and my Switch has its own screen, so I can still use it. But I do like using it on the TV sometimes too. Or if someone comes over and wants to watch TV, it's easier to watch if there's a television. I feel like so I don't have one right now. But that is something I need to get at some point when I feel like spending a chunk of money, which I haven't felt like doing. <laughs> yet. You like to watch TV? I do so, like yeah. TV. I do. No. Yeah, my wife just watches stuff on her computer, and then I usually am not watching anything except for what we talk about for the most part. And then I listen to podcasts all the time or music. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'll, I'll yeah. basically have headphones on. If I'm working from home, especially, I usually will have headphones on like 24-7. If I'm yeah. So, which I guess is not 24-7. So, but. Eh. Yeah. You knew what I meant. Yeah, I knew yes, what I, I did. I did. Well, I was not talking to you. I knew you knew what I meant. <laughs> there, are, see, I'm doing the same thing. I'm assuming the audience is stupid. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm just like Morgan Wong. <laughs> oh no. Anyway, we talked about that before. I probably am. So yeah, and Darren Morgan too. Yeah. You know what I just remember that we are supposed to do on this what? podcast is we're supposed to rate these episodes. I know. I was just thinking about that. But before we do that, I just want to say, like, I really like this episode. And I know that it was like production number wise. I think it was supposed to come before Leonard Betts. I don't know how much of the writing was retooled because it came after or if it just is a nice coincidence. But I really do like Scully in this one because, like, she just found out she has cancer. She hasn't done anything medically about it yet, as far as we know. But she definitely suspects that's the case and is probably pretty sure. And so I think her being kind of morose and rethinking her whole life and getting kind of irritable, like, that makes total sense to me. And I think it's a good progression from Leonard Betts and especially coming between this and the next episode, which is all about her cancer. I thought it was like a good transitional episode for her. So I have a question because mm-hmm. I there was something that was actually something that I was going to ask you about and I forgot. 
getting distracted as I normally do. And I try not to put things that I want to ask you about and like just get <laughs> like, like off the top of the head reaction. I was like, I'm not going to put that in the notes because then she's going to see it and she's going to think about it. And I want to get like a real reaction. So then I always forget stuff. And I was thinking that this one really doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the last episode at all. The Leonard Bet stuff, like if, if the cancer thing hadn't happened, that I could see this episode still being just the way it is. It's fine. Sure. But a thing I was going to ask you about, and then while you were talking, I made a connection in my head that I may just be making a connection in my head. But I'm going to ask you, what do you think is the significance of the rose petal? Well, she took it off a grave. So I wonder if it's because it's something that Wilson dies and she's thinking about mortality or maybe, I don't know. Other than that, I'm not really sure what it could be. Okay, because as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, because like, Rose is red, blood red kind of stuff. And then the Mm. last thing we saw was like she had drops of blood on her pillow, which could look like rose petals, you know, that kind of like thing. I don't, I doubt, I don't know if that was intended or not. That's probably giving them maybe more credit than they deserve. But I mean, who knows? (laughs) I mean, you You never know. So, I was, yeah, I was just wondering, because, like, that's a thing, because, like, she picks it up, she holds it, she puts it in her pocket, she takes it out and looks at it. Later, Mulder looks at it on the desk when he comes back and she's gone, and then she's looking at it at the end, and I'm like, okay, so it's it's something, right? It's not just a yeah, random. it is something. Yeah, I mean, it could, yeah, it could be the mortality thing, if you're thinking about the Leonard Betts stuff. Like I said, I don't know that this has to have Leonard Betts in front of it. I don't know that it does, but since it does, but yeah, yeah, but the way it aired, it comes between Leonard Betts and Memento Mori. So I think it, it works whether or not that was added in later or whether it was just how it was written and it just happened to work out that way instead of her just being bitchy for no reason, which is something that they've had Scully do before. So I don't know, but I think it works really well in terms of her character just because it is a good transitional moment. Yeah, I guess I could see it working either way, because if you put it before Leonard Betts, which was probably the intention, well, maybe it wasn't the intention. I don't know. I think they wanted to get Leonard Betts in for the Super Bowl one, right? Because yes. More, like, yeah, they like did. This would not have been a good one to put on after the Super Bowl. No, you know, no. Have a monster. So. But it could have worked before that, too, because then you're getting the lead up of her like contemplating. It's almost like foreshadowing, right? Like, oh, right. thinking about things and boom. Now, guess what? You got cancer. Bam. That'll so make you think about on. things. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it could work either way. Maybe it was just maybe it was just happy coincidence. Maybe. So, but if that is the like, case, oh, it does it work. Works that way. Because it oh, gives yeah. her time to process, like, or you know, the audience to process what the character is going through. Yeah. I was supposed to use the time that you were talking as a stalling mechanism so I could look up previous ratings and then I didn't because <laughs> then I started talking. So now I have to do that. What I would give Leonard Betts an eight. Nice. Nice. Give it a three. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Good job, Phil. All right. Good job. <laughs> God, I agree with myself. Yeah, I do. I do agree with myself. All right. Well, you kind of already gave a rating almost. You just didn't put a number on it. Yeah. I mean, so. I think it's an eight. I feel like okay. looking at the other episodes, I've rated an eight this season. I liked it a lot. I thought it was entertaining. It's different than a lot of their episodes because, like, it's very Scully focused and Mulder's on vacation and in where's graceland memphis he's in memphis, memphis tennessee yep yeah he's going out to graceland, and, graceland memphis, and scully's yeah. having a time and she's not happy and i don't know i kind of can relate to that a lot so i enjoyed it i thought it was good i watched it 
I, I'd seen your notes and then I watched it. And then I was like, who wrote this? And I looked, I hadn't paid attention to who wrote it. And I was like, oh, Morgan, Morgan Wong wrote this? Okay. So yeah, it doesn't I, feel like a Morgan was, and Wong I episode. I was both kind of taken aback and then kind of like, okay, I see. So like, there there are parts that I could be like, yep, that's Morgan and Wong. <laughs> Especially the whole, like, let's have Scully have an, you know, a one night stand thing. I was like, oh, that's, yep, that's, they would, they would totally do that because they're going to piss people off. So, yes. yep, okay. Yeah. They do seem to enjoy that. They really do seem to antagonize. <laughs> Any of yeah. the shippers, they're like, ha. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, to mess they with weren't you. shipped and squeeze, and that's only a, you know, we only, like I said, we only pay attention to the episodes we write. And so none of the episodes <laughs> we wrote happen, so it's fine. So. Oh dear. <laughs> they weren't, you know, they weren't they weren't kissing each other in the hand of Erlit or anything. So, you know, hey, nothing, you know, since then nothing has changed. So I think I'm gonna give it a six. Okay. I was thinking five. It's just kind of a like this is this is me coming back to the X Files, right? I haven't watched X Files in a long time. And I will say, as soon as I started the episode and it's the it's the it's the court scene, right? Just the look, I was like, nineties. Like yes. just not even just like the clothes, the hairstyles, just the just the look of the camera and like the texture of i mean undoubtedly this is probably not film it's probably digital but just like or maybe it was film i don't know but like it just it just had that look of like yep you can tell when this was shot and i think it's because we've been watching a lot of old stuff lately too oh and so yeah i kind of I, I know that it's it's like how they, when people talk about vinyl how it has a richer tone it's like i like that more textury look to my stuff i don't like the clean no, oh, okay. The clean, but um, but it then again, very I'm a clean. fan of the Marvel movies, which are obviously super clean because they're basically all cartoons. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, like that that was as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh. But I don't dislike the episode. It did seem like this was like, oh yeah, we got to produce how many this season? Okay, well here's one we can just, <laughs> we can do. It, the whole thing felt like filler to me a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. And I kind of got that feel like the that. scene with like him dragging like Kay Schilling's body downstairs. I was like, that went on way too long. Mm-hmm. And you guys are just like filling, filling, filling. Like you're filling in the filling. So, also, but yeah. it's very dark. Like I was watching it the other day because I hadn't watched it since May when I originally wrote the notes for it. Mm-hmm. And I had my laptop and I just had to keep turning up the brightness because I couldn't see what was going on. Especially when he's dragging Kay's body down the stairs and like there were a couple yeah. other scenes too that are just really dark, and I'm like, I can't even tell what's happening. It's so dark. Yeah, no. Anytime I watch anything, because I watch everything on the laptop, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, that brightness goes all the way to the highest level. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, but yeah, no. I think a six is fine. Yeah, I think, I think that's where I'm going to go with fine. it. Fine, it's solid. It's you know, I like the idea of a haunted tattoo, and I really like that they have this scientific explanation. That it could be this ergot poisoning, but then like there's not really enough of that in his body for that to have an effect. And also Scully didn't have that effect. So we know it's got to be something else, which and I don't ergot know. Poison doesn't make your tattoos talk. It makes you be a werewolf. I mean, come on. Yeah. Or a witch in Salem also. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm a dude. I went to werewolves. What can I say? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think six is yeah. I mean a six is my well no, I have a I have a nine and I have an eight and then I have this will be my second six. Oh I have two nines. Holy shit. What the hell? 
How do I? How is this the lowest season so far? Because you I've also have a lot of nines. twos and threes. You got a oh, lot of twos and threes. That'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm like, wow. Wait, I got a lot of high numbers in here. Oh, but I also have a lot of really low numbers. Okay. You do. You have a lot of really low ones. Good job, X Files. Good job, X Files. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we're back, well, baby. We're back. Back. Ba boom. X Files. <laughs> I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. We also make a bonus X-Files adjacent podcast that you should definitely check out because I told you so. But whatever you do, tell a friend. Again, because I'm telling you so, because we'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if, if the, the truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. Oh god, I hate fucking Emerald. <laughs> My mom was a really big fan of him. Oh, like, you, you know who else I hate, and we didn't mention this in the episode? <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, because apparently they wanted him to direct this episode. Oh, but the Screen Actors Guild filed a complaint and wouldn't let him, which is good. <laughs> Yay, Screen Actors Guild! Interesting. So, That's weird. Tarantino. Yeah, I don't, I don't like him. I, I went through a phase when I was like young and trying to be cool that I was like, yeah, I, I like his stuff. I've never actually seen. What's the movie with Travolta and the dancing? Oh, I don't Pulp even, Fiction. Yeah, I've never even seen Pulp Fiction. I, I mean, see, you have seen it because basically all he does is rip off old movies. So okay, he just yeah, cuts them up and puts them together, which I mean is a skill, but. I've not. seen the episode of Community where they throw Abed at a Pulp Fiction birthday party. I feel like that's probably oh. better. <laughs> no, I was banished to the Bellagio basement because he went to Fergie's birthday party and everyone knew that I hated him and would punch him <laughs> in the face if I saw him. Oh, no. And so they wouldn't let me go and deliver the food that day. <laughs> okay, that's a really good story. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so funny that you have this much animosity towards somebody <laughs> that they're like, no, keep Nick away because he will punch uh -huh. this guy in the face and we will have a lawsuit on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> it was another event that they had to let me go to because we were shorthanded, but Bobby Flay was there, but I didn't get to see oh. him. 
okay here's the thing about bobby (laughs) flay though because i always wanted to punch him too but i know now he travels around with his cat and i'm like okay that you you don't just get a cat and get redemption. I'm but sorry. not only did he get a cat, he got a Maine Coon and he convinced Anne Burrell to adopt a cat also, which I think that's yeah. pretty cool. I like, don't know. I, don't know. That, I kind of I don't know that getting a cat washes away the I whole mean, rest of your life of being an asshole. Sure. But, sure. But I, I feel like he has sort of done like did, a redemption I'd be like arc. king of the world. So, He's, you know. Oh, man. I mean, that's why I got a cat. I thought that's how it worked. <laughs> I got two just for good measure because I have a lot of asshole I thought history, that is what so. the contract said. Yeah, so, I mean, that's no. why I have cats to undo my assholeness. Um, I don't know. I feel like he had his redemption arc on Food Network and now he's like seen as less of a jerk or at least that's the image he's trying to portray. Everyone yeah. knows the king of Food Network is Guy Fieri, though, and I will defend mm. Guy Fieri till the end of the world. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just we need to stop <laughs> right now. So. <laughs> I don't mean as a cook at all in any way. I just mean as a good, decent human being. Guy Fieri is a good, decent okay. human. Being. I don't really know anything. Of, I don't really know anything about him. I was already out of Food Network by the time he showed up. So. Yeah, I mean, nope, yeah, done. So yeah, he does a lot of really good stuff. Just I've heard that off. But I also don't know. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, we don't need to be talking about Food Network. This is not a Food Network podcast, and I no longer have cable, so I have not watched Food Network in like four years. That's okay. This will go after the theme music. Yay! 